That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jacobus, second Sunday in Lent, you're already looking slimmer, holier. It's really working for you. I will have to say, sanctification levels are high, and uh, they're gonna about to go even higher because I just want to know if we could put a plug in for Story Makers. What do you think? I think so. Story Makers, the best children's ministry content in the world. And I, Absolutely. I'm actually, not, I'm actually not kidding. No, I'm, not, I'm sort of not kidding. There's some great children's ministry content out there. I and there maybe, maybe there's something better. I have never seen anything better than Story Makers. Full disclosure, I'm on the board, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a supporter uh, and uh, user of their materials long before that, and of course, you know, to be honest, your wife runs it, so we should, be, you know, come clean. Yeah, we've got to. Yeah, your but, wife uh, is the genius and her team behind it. But basically, seeing a lack of children's material out there in the world that had a laser-like focus on the gospel, a clear commitment to make it understandable to children, and a high value placed on beautiful art that was accessible to children but didn't dumb it down or talk down to them in any way and i'm such a huge fan of story makers yeah i think you know i think what's so amazing about it is um not only the woman behind it but uh, also you know if you're looking for a for a you like a sunday school curriculum that will not sow the seeds of moralism and atheism uh story makers is it um uh, it gets right at the heart of the gospel, and whether it be from the Old Testament or from some of the liturgical seasons, Easter's coming up, uh, they've got a new children's catechism coming out, but um, it gets right at the heart that Jesus loves the little children, and he forgives their sins, and he's with them wherever they go. So check out storymakersnyc.org and uh, get yours today. All right, so we really, we really should be making some money on this. But anyway, yeah, so. <laughs> tell Melina to send us a check. If you'd like to place an ad at Same Old Song, um, you know, just kidding. But uh, we are in the second Sunday of Lent. Are you? I'm looking svelte. You're, uh, you, I can tell you're eating a lot of chocolate and retaining water. But yeah, a little swollen. But. Uh, um, <laughs> in the face so but uh, um but uh, uh we are um we are in the second sunday of lent and uh i love this because actually the truth is uh, by this time in lent i've already dropped all of my practices and the collect really hits it and it says whose glory is it is always to have mercy and then here it hits and this is the heart of lent be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. 
And the unchangeable truth of his word is that he's for you. He's the protagonist in the relationship. And because of Jesus, he'll never let you go. And we see that played out in our readings today from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 7 and 15 through 16. And then uh, one of my personal favorites, Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 25. And then... uh, culminating in our gospel reading, Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. But uh, we come to uh, Genesis chapter 17, which is the beginning of a covenant, not a contract, that God makes with this man named Abram, a moon worshiper in Ur. Notice he's got nothing in him that makes him attractive or likable. God comes to him and says, walk before me and be blameless. And not only that, Abram has already messed up his life in lots of ways. So this is not the first meeting between God and Abram. Uh, He's 99 at the beginning of this passage. When they first met, Abram was a spry 75, and God called him out of moon worshiping in Ur of the Chaldeans and said, I want you to go somewhere else. I'm going to show you where. And he didn't know exactly where, so he'd been wandering around for a while. And twice he had lied about his marriage to Sarah, saying that she was actually his sister so that he would not get killed by men that would want to steal her. So he kind of threw her under the bus, endangering her. He had already had a child with his uh, wife's servant because his wife had urged him to do so. Even though God had promised him children, they were now getting old. And Sarah said, let's hedge our bets. And maybe if you have a relationship with Hagar, uh, Sammy Hagar, you can have a child. And from that, maybe your line will continue. So there are all these ways that Abraham and Sarah both had like not totally Screwed trusted up. God with everything. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that opening. He calls him in, uh, uh, in, uh, in chapter 12, he's like, Hey, come to the land that I will show you. And there I'm going to make you, uh, prosper. And immediately like a famine hits the land and Abraham takes off to Egypt. <laughs> you yep. know, it's like, I'm yep. out of here. So yeah, and, this is not, this is not the embodiment of a, of a, a guy who's got it together and is doing his part for the Lord. By the way, this is Amy Grant's favorite passage of the Bible because God Almighty in verse 1 of chapter 17 is El Shaddai in Hebrew. So if you know <laughs> those early works of Mrs. Grant, you know that song. So Who uh, could forget? Who could so. forget? And so what this says, when God says, I'm going to make a covenant in Hebrew, cut a covenant, because the word is not make. The word in Hebrew is yeah. cut. You always cut a covenant because a covenant is not a contract. It's a binding relationship between two parties that is enacted and uh, made real by a sacrifice. And whether it's an animal, or in this case, it's going to be circumcision. Now, you don't know that, lectionary reader, in the pew, because it's completely cut out of the passage. You'll notice that... it's so terrible that they did that. I know, and I understand why, but it sort of, you missed the point, because you'll see that the reading is verses 1 through 7, and then skipping 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14... And then picks up again 15 through 16 to indicate that, so both Abraham and Sarah get their names changed. Abram goes to Abraham. Sarai goes to Sarah. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many nations or of a multitude. And Sarai and Sarah are both different versions of princess is what the name means. But it indicates a change in their relationship and it's a really wonderful thing. But the covenant is actually made it enfleshed and made real through the through circumcision and this is really remo- key yeah. again for later the understanding the in the new testament but the idea here is that this is something that is another demonstration of the grace of god 
and that God has a plan to redeem the whole world. So this is the thing. He's saying there's going to be this offspring for this everlasting covenant and you're going to get a land. And it's it's ultimately all pointing to Jesus Christ, who will be circumcised as well. Uh, and then... Um, so it's pointing to and Christ, then, and and we're gonna hear. And, the, and by the, one more thing, we're getting, the reason this reading is this Sunday is because it ties into what Saint Paul is gonna tell us in the in the letter to the Romans coming yeah, right up. But why why the circumcision is so important in this passage is because he is being told that you are going to be like the ancestor of a multitude of nations. Uh, essentially, it all boils down to your seed is going to be great. And the sign that his seed will be great is that the, the removal of the flesh of the foreskin, the removal of his flesh. And uh, the way then that he becomes the father of many nations is because his flesh ultimately embodied in Jesus is removed from the whole world as well, is literally cut off. And so um, only to be uh, resurrected and redeemed. But that, I mean, that's an important, important point in a foreshadow and a pointing of things to come. It's not just because circumcision is arbitrary. It's because it is pointing to uh, flesh embodied in God himself being cut off for the, so that the whole world might receive these promises. But there's there's a lot of interesting things one could say about circumcision. If you want to preach a long sermon on it, uh, go right ahead. And it is a very powerful, profound thing. What's interesting is that in a covenant, you usually think of like, one person says, I will do these good things for you if you do these good things for me. That's how we often understand it. Uh, I promise to be faithful to you if you promise to be faithful to me. Here, it's God says, I promise to make you a father of many nations and you'll have kings and all these offspring that come from your family tree, from you. And your part of the bargain is cut off your foreskin. It's like, what? Like, shouldn't I memorize the Bible or something? Like, should, shouldn't I promise to never listen to uh, NWA again? Like, get rid of all those albums? Uh, what is the deal? And again, the whole thing, in addition to all the things that Jake has said, it's also, like, imagine for you... Uh, person, male person, uh, like how many reminders per day are you going to get what God, be reminded of what God has done for you in, physically in your flesh, in your body. This is why, you know, people kind of get this. They tattoo themselves with things that are important to them or whatever. This is marking in your flesh something that's going to remind you every day of this covenant that God has made with your people to save the whole world. So it's just, again, it's just another promise of, of his love actually in his flesh. But there's a lot there. And that's, uh, and I think what Jake said is more important than that. But I just, oh, I kind of wanted to just mention that one last mm-hmm. little bit there. All right. Yeah. So we now move into uh, this letter to the Romans where Paul will talk about this very passage. And this is chapter four and talks. And so uh, the this is something, by the way, if you're going to, I mean, this is what Sunday where they line up the linkages between the passages really well. So they give you the Genesis reading so you can refer to it when you preach on the Romans passage, for example. Uh, and uh, Paul here is giving a Holy Spirit, divinely inspired scriptural commentary on scripture. This is the New Testament giving a commentary on the old and he is uh, addressing this question of law versus faith, law versus gospel. How are we saved? And, and uh, Paul makes this point that the promise to Abraham didn't come to him through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And uh, it's, it's either you either have to be perfect based on the law or, it's, or, or it has to be by faith. It can't be one or the other. Paul is very, yeah. very clear on this. 
And the other thing that Paul is doing here, it's part of a greater argument uh, in uh, that he is appealing to the scriptures as opposed to the Pharisaic and the and the Pharisaic tradition. It was a big thing in the Phar- amongst the Pharisees to say that we have Abraham as our father. That was like that was like one of their slogans, and if you will, confession. You see it in Matthew chapter three and John eight, and uh, and the that the Pharisaic tradition was that Abraham was justified by his obedience. And uh, Paul is like, uh, no, wrong. And he appeals back not to the Pharisaic tradition, but he's going all the way back to the scriptures to make the point that, one, I'm not preaching a new religion, and that Abraham believed God. It was grace, and that's what is credited to him as righteous. And so, um, and so now he's tying in at this point this whole theme of circumcision and everything uh, and how it all plays together. Yeah, and there's and Paul makes a beautiful connection here to the fact that the gospel means not good people get better or bad people make some improvements, but dead people are raised to life. It is the yeah. one-way love of God. It is God doing the work, not we in partnership or cooperation with God because he says um, God gives life to the dead and calls to into existence the things that do not exist. That's a reference to Genesis 1. Here, though, also with Abraham, he's saying, Abraham was as good as dead. He was 99 years old. And uh, right after the passage we just read in Genesis, this is when they have their miracle son, Isaac. And Abraham and Sarah both kind of chuckle a little bit at God. But uh, this is God's work alone. It's not Abraham and Sarah like earning something or whatever. And so again, this is the point here that this is something that God does, and Abraham's only job is to have faith, which is reckoned to him as righteousness. So this is Paul in an argument with his opponents and making a case for his understanding of the gospel that it's not stuff that we do to make God like us. It is stuff that God has done. It's as it's as crazy, God saving us in Jesus Christ, doing all the work, 100% of the work to make that happen, is just as crazy as a 100-year-old man and his wife having a baby which they could never do on their own, but that's because God does it through them. Same thing about your salvation. God does it 100% on his own. And and then he he makes that explicit at the end. Uh, Jesus is handed over to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Again, it's 100% the work of God. And And how it worked for Abraham is the same way it works for you, you know, and the same way it's worked for everybody. Therefore, his faith was reckoned, or the word there, credited to him as righteousness, imputed to him as righteous. Yep. And the word it was reckoned or credited to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also, because it's the same with everybody. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. The point is, is that this is all absolutely absurd when you, when you take it at a, like a natural level. You know, when you take it at like a worldly face value, it is completely absurd. And this is, but that's how God works and why it must be believed. Amen. And so then we see that Jesus begins to uh, kind of teach about this, uh, about this kind of absurd thing that credits us as righteous. And it's not that he just says, hey, everybody, it's okay. But rather because he's a just God, Jesus begins to teach his disciples how it's all going to work. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. <laughs> and after that, three days rise again. I mean, this is, this is craziness. And uh, this is why Peter rebukes him. 
and uh, and then is rebuked. Yeah, so this uh, little encounter um, just also shows how quickly uh, human beings, how how sort of flighty and quick are, we're like, we get blown around by the wind. We change our opinions so quickly. We're so fickle because, yeah, Peter had just said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, you know, this has been revealed to you by God, Peter. Uh, You get a gold star. Well done. And the second Jesus then begins to talk about what his messiahship actually means, i.e. not kicking out the Romans, taking over the throne in Jerusalem and uh, keeping a standing army and making Israel like the greatest nation in the world. But then actually what his messiahship means is to die, because that's what he says, I'm going to die. Peter tells him, no, Jesus. So whatever sin you think you've done that is really bad, listener, you have never told God to not be God, which is what Peter does here. He tells Jesus to give up his saving mission of the world, to give up his death and resurrection. No Easter, Jesus, I don't want it. Instead, I would rather just you be an earthly king and we can, I mean, imagine how great the palace will be. Like that's sort of what uh, Peter's mindset is. And uh, it's just a breathtaking level of sinfulness. It's unbelievable. And But he had just confessed that Peter was the Christ. So uh, uh, clearly, uh, or that Jesus was the Christ. So Peter clearly didn't have it all quite figured out yet. So he's kind of the patron saint of people who don't have things figured out. And so I take a lot of comfort from that. But even though Peter doesn't understand, he's still, even though, Jesus, even though Peter doesn't fully understand and will not for some time, Jesus still goes to Jerusalem to die for him. So it's an amazing story of grace. I love it too. And then so, but then Jesus just kind of amps it up and he like, because Peter's like, God, for, like, takes him aside, you know, and rebukes him, you know, tries yeah. to do it quietly, like a, and that taking him aside and began to rebuke him in the Greek is like what a parent does with a little kid who's like out of line, no, you know Jesus. what I mean? Yeah. Hey, Jesus. Now. And so I love what Jesus does next. He gathers the crowds and he says, yeah. Like, this is his slogan, his recruiting-like method. He's like, if anyone wants to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And then whoever wants to save their life will lose it, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the point here is, is that this was, everybody there would have been like, what the F are you talking about? Like, this wasn't some sort of noble task. When the Romans showed up and they wanted to, they like crucified everybody. And this was a terrible thing. And uh, and so what Jesus is doing here is like completely countercultural. What What Peter wants is a partnership. What Peter wants is a do-it-yourself religion. And what Jesus is doing here is like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You know, uh, 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 but what, what this means is, is that to take up your cross and follow Jesus means that you're not going to save yourself. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, the only way to live is not to save yourself, but to lose yourself as you follow Jesus uh, in his cross and his death. And uh, yeah. that really is a powerful thing. And, and it's important, preacher, when you're preaching this, to remind their congregation that even their crosses won't save you. <laughs> you know, you're, like taking up your cross won't ultimately save you. Only Jesus's cross will save you. And so right. only his death will save you, not theirs. And so what this means is, and the, 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 the nugget here that I would get at is that What this means is Jesus is talking about real life, kind of what we talked about on Ash Wednesday. Uh, Real life has nothing to do with blessing in human terms. 
but rather everything to do with loss. Uh, but in that loss, uh, you get everything from God to see you through this age and into the age that is to come. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that thing that uh, Stephen Colbert said, uh, what great suffering is not in some way a gift from God, which is a heavy yeah. thing to say. Go back and listen to the Mockingcast a few weeks ago uh, with, uh, I think it was the one entitled, What If You're Wrong About Everything? Uh, yeah. Sarah and RJ and Dave uh, really lay it on the line there, and it's, a, it's an amazing and beautiful podcast. But I think this is one of those passages where there's clearly like two ways of being, um, and it's it's... It's laid out right there in Jesus's words to Peter, where he says in verse 33, you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. So divine things, that means taking up the cross and following Christ. What that means, again, and Jake, you said this so well, it doesn't mean like taking up sort of trite little human attempts to suffer for the Lord yeah. uh, by not watching, you know, R-rated movies and limiting yourself to two cups of coffee a day. What this taking up your cross and following Jesus means trusting in him for your righteousness, not trusting in yourself. It, you're giving up the glory story for yourself. You're giving up your starring role in the movie where you're the best person and you win the Oscar and you're whatever. It's like giving up a lot of those dreams and who you think you should be. And uh, that is the divine path because that death to your ego means that the spirit can live in you and you're freed from having to perform. You're free from having to earn people's approval. You're freed from the treadmill of life, the hamster wheel of life, the performances, performancism of life. You are freed. And that mean, that's what it means to take up your cross because if you're dead, mm -hmm. you no longer have to perform. You're, and you've, dead, right. you're, you've died and you've risen again. The human way of looking at things is what Peter is thinking. Peter's thinking, there's no way, Jesus, you could die. What? That's crazy. Your role, Jesus, is to be the boss. Your role is to like, um, have an eight-car garage and to be the king and to invite other people to climb the ladder to try to work hard to be like you. That's the human way of thinking. And that's what Peter wants because that's what he thinks a Messiah should be. And it is exactly 100% wrong. And for us, what we hear in this passage is that, the, as Jake, you said, the call to Jesus is come and die so that you can live. Because all that human way of thinking is actually death. That is yeah. real death. Christian yeah. death is dying to yourself and your ego and to things that will ultimately kill you and rising to new life in Christ. Yeah, and I think what that ultimately means and how it connects to Lent is that uh, it means, because Lent, what Lent is about is not constraining but it, it or constraint, but about Lent means freedom. And so, you know, this is it. To lose your life, in, to lose your life is to find it in Jesus. And so what you can do now is, is because you've already lost your life, you can confess your sins to God and your neighbor. Uh, you uh, are, and know that you're totally forgiven. It means you can rest in the fact that you don't need to impress the one person who matters, uh, because God, um, God has forgiven you, and God is totally for you. And um, I love, I love, uh, I love, um, yeah, Why? I love this passage. Yeah, I love this passage because it really does mean freedom. When you die, and when you really die, you can say with your last breath with sure and certain hope in the resurrection from the dead, uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. And uh, that's good news. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's what this is all about. True freedom. Amen. 
Well, have a free Lent. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, can I just say something pastorally about that? I think um, we've run I was, out of time. No, no, we're good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I was saying, messing with you. But I think, you know, this is, this is pastoral work right here. You know, a lot of people, like, they freak out. You and I don't believe in free will and uh, in a divine sense, in a, in a vertical sense. Uh, and, uh, but this is the thing, and this, was, uh, this is one of the great insights of St. Paul, and, uh, and is that, you know, when we begin with losing our life, when we begin with the fact that, you know, we are so bound, then the ministry becomes all about releasing people. But when you begin with the idea that people are free and they've got to save their life, then uh, ministry becomes about constraining people. And, uh, and that, that, is, that is not what taking up your cross is all about. Taking up your cross is, is recognizing that, man, on my own, I'm already screwed. And so then the ministry can be about freedom and taking these constraints off. Uh, and the cross no longer is this like heavy, insane burden. But we realize that Jesus has already taken his cross for us. And so that burden is easy and that yoke is light. And uh, that's really powerful. So what I want to say is that in your preaching, don't constrain people. Remember, they're already constrained in life, trying to save themselves with their do-it-themselves religion, with their do-it-themselves Lent. Uh, but rather, use this opportunity to set people free with the preaching of the gospel and to say that it's already been done. And as I was talking to somebody today, they were like, well, I mean, but we, we have to do this, right? We have to abide. And you're like, no, you already are. You're already taking up a cross just by following Christ. You're already taking up a cross called life. Nobody chooses a cross. It's flung on you. And so now, preacher, like, use this moment to preach freedom and constrain people so that they can see how light this burden actually is. Yeah, and I think if you want an example to connect this to people... Now we're done. No, I'm just well, kidding. Well, okay. I just get oh, it. No, say, no, it. No. say it, say it, was, say it. You know, I think... Uh, you know, illustrations help people get what this is like. Like, uh, yeah. what is it? What does it mean to take up your cross? What does it mean to lose your life? What, it, you know, this is all such figurative language. I think about an artist who is at the beginning of his or her career who has nothing to prove because they are completely unknown and unseen and uh, can just kind of have fun and be creative. And often, those artists will produce incredible works of art. But when the, because they're already, they're sort of dead, you know, they're, they're not trying to save their lives. They, they have no, they're completely un, like unself-conscious, unself-aware, just kind of making art for its own sake and having fun in the studio. Then when they have some success and they have believed that they need to be, uh, you know, that they need to improve on that, do more, continue to keep up, like now they're, now they're working to impress people. And uh, they, um, they often, the pressure kills them. Uh, they can't do it. Compare appetite for destruction to Chinese democracy. I was, uh, I was just going to use Axl Rose as a perfect It's example. like the classic thing, you know, and, and Dave Zoll has written about this. And, uh, um, but it's so true. Here's some kids in their 20s in L.A. making one of the greatest rock and roll albums of all time, uh, just having fun in the studio. And you hear the joy on the record. And then... Mm -hmm. They weren't able to produce this album for over a decade. And when it finally came out, it was this bloated, mass-produced thing that nobody really listens to except Dave Zoll. And so the, um, the, the 
taking up your cross is a call to die, and it's dying to expectation. It's it's living free. It's living freely, not trying to impress anyone. Um, if you are the person who tries to save your life, like earn and strive and all that, you will lose it. It will be crushing. And so that's just a little example. I don't know if that helps. I'm sure you listeners can pick up your own examples in your own way. Um, and uh, But just wanted to leave you with that. I was just looking at that appetite for destruction versus... Um a Chinese democracy. And uh, in the United States, Appetite for Destruction sold um, 18 million copies and over <laughs> 30 million copies worldwide. And then you take a look at Chinese democracy and uh, uh, Chinese democracy sold a million copies in the U.S. <laughs> and only 2.6 worldwide. So um, huge, huge disparity. Um, and that is, yeah, when we're trying to do it ourselves, uh, we can't help but uh, lose. But when we realize um, all has been lost and we have everything to gain in Jesus, well, uh, that's that's exciting. Amen. Well, there's the illustration, everybody. That that's a good one. All right, we saved this episode, so Woo. we will uh, we'll see you guys uh, all next week for Lent uh, episode three. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside ready to rock and roll.